this one of them Sundays where I could have just kept singing. I know it's always preference in the song selection, but those are some of my favorites this morning. So it was that was great worship team. Thank y'all very much. If you would grab your Bible this morning, turn to the book of First Peter, chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. We're going to read verses three through nine. I want to talk to you this morning about how God keeps those of genuine faith in salvation. We're carrying on the the teaching that we started with last week on the doctrine of eternal security or the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, no matter which one you want to look at it. But this week we're going to carry on in that and we're going to look at how God keeps those of genuine faith. That's the key. How God keeps those of genuine faith in salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9. I'm going to put emphasis on, all of it is important, but I'm, I'm going to put a lot of emphasis on the parts that, that I really want to bring out to your attention today. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept, you see that? Kept in heaven for you who, now let's look at who is kept and what's kept, who by God's power are being guarded, in other words, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And here's why those trials come in Christians' lives. So that the tested genuineness of your faith. In other words, some versions say, so that the genuineness is the so that the genuineness of your faith can be tested. More than precious, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, Now you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning I want to come to You and um, as I always do, God, I want to humble myself right now. Lord, I truly do know that I am nothing without you. Father, this morning my only hope in doing this is that you come in and that you cause this word to go forth. Father, from me it is useless and in vain, but from you it is full of power. Power to change lives. Power to to secure in faith. And Father, I pray that's exactly what happens from your word this morning. 
God, I pray for uh, Brother Kirby this morning as he's preaching, uh, preaching your word in another place. God, I pray that you give him the, uh, the words that he needs to be able to, um, to increase faith in you, to increase love in people. Father, I pray that whatever purpose that you have for him in this place, I pray that you would accomplish it, God. And Lord, as, as I pray for him, I just pray for other churches this morning, especially our sister churches. Father, I start with them and I just ask you, God, that, that you would be with them this morning, that no matter where your people are gathered together, God, I pray that your kingdom would grow this morning. And I know that it only grows through the proclamation of your word. So I pray that whoever stands before them this morning would proclaim it boldly and that you would cause it to accomplish its purpose. God, I pray this morning for the sister churches that are struggling. Lord, as Nick mentioned some earlier, God, I pray for those. God, I pray for any church that is struggling, Father. Lord, I know that these trials are meant to test the genuineness of our faith. So God, I pray that their faith proves to be genuine in this, God. And Lord, I pray that they pass the test and that they make it through the other side stronger than they were before they went through it. But Lord, I pray for all of our struggling sister churches, God. And Lord, I just um, I pray that one day they'll be doing the same for us if we reach struggling times, God. Lord, thank you for even these various trials that come to test our faith. Lord, this morning we look to you and I'm asking you again, just move me out of the way. You speak your word. Whatever it is that you want to say, you say it through me. And Lord, I'm going to trust you. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, last week, I told the Wednesday night service this, and, and sometimes I think I'm too honest with y'all. Sometimes I think I just need to keep my mouth shut and don't tell y'all nothing. But uh, I'm a man. I, I'm a human. I, I struggle the same struggles that you struggle. I may be, have the title as pastor. Um, you, you may think that I, I'm on a higher level than you are, but the truth of the matter is... I am a sinner saved by the grace of God just like you. Um, yes, I, I should be a little bit farther in knowledge and a little bit farther in faith. But as far as my sinful nature and the things that I deal with, they are, they are no different than yours. And, and so last week I, I got up here to preach and I am a, a note person. Now there are a lot of preachers that, that they don't do notes and that's fine. But for me, I have to do notes because my mind... If I was a kid and didn't have a daddy that, that, that beat me when I needed it, they would have put me on all kind of different medicines and diagnosed me with everything out there because I definitely would have been an ADD kid, no question about it. My mind is going to go in a hundred different directions. Um, and so notes for me, I have to sit down and make sure that I understand here's what it is that I believe God wants me to get across to these people. And if I get away from those notes... There's no telling where I'm going to end up. There's no telling what I'm going to be talking about. So I stick to my notes. Well, last week I was up here preaching, and I got to the heart of my message, and I flipped my page of notes, and guess what? They were not there. So if you've ever stood in front of people, unless you're just some great public speaker and you just don't struggle with it whatsoever then you don't understand this. But me, on the other hand, I have nerves that I deal with every Sunday, even though I've been doing this for so long. I struggle with it. And so I stood up here, and when I flipped that page over to go to the heart of my message, the heart of it, and all of a sudden, it's not there. And you know what happens then, right? 
panic sets in. Your heart drops to your stomach and you start thinking to yourself, okay, okay, what are we, what are we going to do now? Where do we go? What are we going to do? And what's funny about this is I wrote this message. If I wrote it, surely it ought to be right here, right? And it was for the most part, but what happens whenever... What about somebody that you see somebody you know out in public but you just can't remember their name and they're coming up to you to talk to you? What do you do? You panic. You start thinking to yourself, okay, what's their name? What's their name? What's their name? And are you going to be able to remember their name at that time? Because your mind is reaching so hard for it and it's panicking and it just can't find it. So you know what your mind finally does if it's mine? I give up. And so last Sunday, I'm sitting in the pulpit, and my mind looked at me and said, Hey, brother, you on your own. I'm pulling out. <laughs> and so there I was on my own. And so here's what I did. I just went with it. So here I go, just going out with whatever's going on. Well, when I pulled out of the parking lot, I literally felt so small. I thought, you know, because I'm serious about my time that I have up here. I really am. I want to make sure that I take advantage of trying to get across to you. I only have one time a week that I can do this. Out of all that time, i got to take advantage of this moment. So I pulled out of here feeling just that tall. And I pulled down the road and I said, God, if you can do anything at all with that mess, it is completely on you. Because I, I just messed that all up. Well, it wasn't just a few minutes later I start getting messages. That's the best message I've ever heard in my life. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, God, there is no doubt in my mind that you have done this. Well, a little while later, a guy comes to the plant and he sits down and he says, well, let me tell you something. Man, God was all over me this morning and he starts telling me what was, what was said. And truth of the matter is, I don't even remember none of that being said. But whatever he heard, the Lord spoke to him. So, um, so this, this morning what I want to try to do is I want to try to go back and I want to make sure that, that I try to get across to you what I felt like God wanted me to get across last week. I felt like that I got the main part of the message across as far as why I believe in eternal security, why I believe the Bible teaches eternal security, even though there are many warnings in the Bible about falling away and drifting away. And I had to struggle with that while I was teaching last week. The, the night before, I sat down and I had to ask the question, okay, I believe what this is teaching, but what's with all the warnings? What's with all of this um, with, uh, beware? And so we address some of that, and we'll talk about some of that in this week's too. But just a very quick recap. Last week, here's what we learned. Genuine faith, genuine, that's the key. Not all faith is genuine. The Bible says even the demons believe, and they believe so much that what do they do? They tremble. That's how much they believe, yet is their faith genuine? Anybody can believe, but that don't make genuine faith. Genuine faith is eternally secure because when it's genuine, it always follows the direction of its hope. Now remember, faith is the full assurance of things hoped for, right? And so when faith is genuine, it always follows the direction of its hope. Noah believed that God would save him from the flood. Therefore, Noah did what? He, his faith followed the direction of his hope. 
He heard the Word of God. He believed the Word of God. And because of his faith, he moved with godly fear and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah was not saved because he built an ark. Noah built an ark because he was saved. That's why Noah built ark. It's important that you understand that this morning and it has to be this way in all of your lives. We looked at Abraham, we looked at Sarah, we looked at David. But here's the thing. Because of our struggle with our fallen nature, this life of faith is filled with ups and downs. Would you agree with that? But here's the key. You don't lose your salvation in the downs. Genuine faith saves from the beginning and it is an eternal salvation and it is eternally secure. You don't lose it in the down periods. Salvation is God's work, not yours. See, here's the problem with a lot of faiths that teach that you lose your salvation in these down times. They are basing it on the fact that you lost it because of your works. You never gained it because of your works. It was God's work to begin with. It's initiated by God. In other words, you can't even come to faith unless God draws you. Listen, could Lazarus rise from the dead unless Jesus called him? He's as dead as any other person in that grave. It was not by Lazarus' power. It was not by Lazarus' might. It was by nothing that Lazarus could do. Lazarus didn't even have ears to hear. The only way that Lazarus was able to rise from the dead is he heard the Word of God. He had ears to hear it that were given to him by God. And his only part was that he believed by faith. And he said, I hear it, I believe it. And by faith, he gets up and he has life because of what God does. God, it's initiated for God. Look at John chapter 6, verse 44. In John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No one can come to, the, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can even come unless he draws you. And how does he draw? He actually tells us that, He is sending His Spirit to convict the world of their sin and to draw all men to Jesus. The Father draws you by sending His Spirit to draw you. It is initiated by God. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him in. And then it is even created by God. Ephesians chapter 2. We are dead in trespasses and sins. Here's the problem. You are no different than Lazarus in the grave. You are spiritually dead and a dead man can't do anything on his own. You are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. It was the nature that you had, and it was just like the rest of all mankind. I don't have to convince you of this. All you got to do is look at children and know that our nature is a sinful nature. And no matter how hard you try, somewhere along the line, your children are going to have to be taught to do right because their nature is to do 
wrong. That's just the facts of it. But here's the good thing. Even though you were dead, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespassing, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. You know why? Because you were dead. It's not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works. And here's why. So that no one can boast. Just keep on that verse right there for just a minute, Ralph. So that no one may boast. Here is the issue with all of us. We are prideful people. Pride is the root of all of our sin. We are self-centered. I got a two-year-old boy sitting up here that right now... No matter what you try to do to him, I was trying to buckle him up in the car seat this morning and all I wanted to do, we, we were running a little bit behind like you do on Sunday mornings. We wanted to skid in here on two wheels and, and just get in here just as late as we could. So we got in here and, um, and when I say late, I'm talking 9.15. Yeah. That's late. Yeah. 9.15 is late. If we're not leaving the house by 9 o'clock, I'm late. Now some of y'all's late, it's 9.45, 9.50, 10 o'clock. Now some of y'all's late. That's not my late. But here's the thing about it. When I tried to buckle him up, I wanted to just get him in the seat, get him buckled so I could go. And he starts slapping me and pushing my hands. No, I can do it all by myself. I can do it all by myself. I can do it all by myself. And so finally I quit fighting him and I backed up and he sat there and he got it sideways and then he went under and then he went over. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, will you just get out of the way and let me do this? <laughs> But finally, by the grace of God, not of his work, lest he may boast, <laughs> by the grace of God, he got it and it buckled in place and it just snapped and I was able to step back. But here's the thing about it. No matter what you do with him right now, he's in this phase where he says, I can do it myself, I can do it myself, I can do it myself. See, that was the heart of this thing to begin with. God, we don't want you to do it for us. We can do it ourselves. And God said, you really think so? Okay. Let me step back and show you what it looks like when you do it by yourself. And this is what it looks like. And so here's the reason why your salvation must be by faith. It cannot be by your works because you can't do it. And the only way you can do it is by recognizing that you are dead and your only hope is that God gives you the gift. It is not of works so that no one may boast. And that way so God can get the glory for it all. For we are His workmanship. What's that next word? Created. You are a creation of God in Christ Jesus for good works. It was initiated by God. It is created by God. So far, how much have you had to do with it? Absolutely nothing. You showed up. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's what you need to understand this morning. It's initiated by God. It's created by God. And then finally this morning, let's get to the heart of it. It is kept by God. You didn't receive it by any work. You did 
There is no work that you did that you could receive this thing. And it is as a result of that, you can't lose it by your failures in your works. But again, this thing is based on genuine faith. And faith without works is dead. If Noah had said, this is, please get this, you have to get this. This is the reason why so many people struggle with this doctrine. There are people that look at it and go, well, if that's the case, I don't have to do anything. And Paul answered these questions in Romans. He said, shall we sin so that grace may abound? In other words, he heard all of these questions as a result of the doctrine of justification by faith and faith alone. And he responded. He said, okay, then so, we, so shall we just sin however much we want to so that grace may abound? Because it's not by our works. No. He says very plainly, no. We have to understand that when God created us in Christ Jesus, it was for good works. It was for His glory. True faith will always follow the direction of its hope. If it's not true, then you will sin all you want because you didn't believe God. Let me give you the example. God warned Noah that the flood is coming, but I'm going to save your household. Noah believes God, and it's accounted unto him for righteousness, and his direction moves in the direction of his hope. The Bible says he moved with godly fear to prepare the ark. The evidence that he believed God was that he built the ark. What if Noah had said, I believe in God. I believe God. I believe every word He's going to say. But He never moved and He never built an ark. He ain't saved. You know why? Because His faith is not genuine. If your faith is genuine and you believe God, then your life will move in that direction. Please get that this morning. But it is initiated by God. It's created by God. It's kept by God. Since you didn't receive it by any work, you can't lose it by your failures and your works. Listen, even though Noah was building this ark and even though he got off of it and got drunk, did he lose his salvation in that failure? No, because it was never based on that. It was based on the fact that he believed God. And as a result of believing God, our direction moves in this path, but it is filled with ups and downs. But we don't lose it just because of mistakes that you, that, that you make. You get back up and you get back on the path. And look at all of God's people. Look at Abraham who was a liar. Look at David who was an adulterer and a murderer. Look at uh, Moses who was a murderer and, and, and an insecure person who really didn't even trust God to speak through him. Look at uh, 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 Peter. Look at all the disciples. Did they lose their salvation in all these ups and downs? Absolutely not, because it wasn't about their works that saved them to begin with. It was about their faith. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I told you it's kept by God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, nothing you've done, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now let's break that down just a little bit. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Faith is the full assurance of things hoped for. Here's what Peter is saying. The way that, remember the doctrine of regeneration that we talked about, being born again? The way that God has caused us to be regenerated or be born again is by the living hope that He's given us. 
that we are totally depraved sinners that are hopeless, and yet if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the promise of God. There comes the hope, and it's a living hope. And then you can look at that and you can say, I believe it. And you can get up and you can walk in it, or you can not believe it and you can keep doing exactly the way that you do. But He has caused those of genuine faith to be born again because they have full assurance of that hope that is in them through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. He's caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept in heaven for you. And you are the ones who by God's power are being guarded. That's important. And you're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is kept by God because you are guarded by God. We're going to dig a little deeper into that. Our salvation is all God's doing. Your only part is faith. You are justified by faith and faith alone. It is important that you understand that this morning. That doctrine is vital to your full assurance of hope. Because if you don't understand that you are justified by faith and faith alone, if you begin to think for one minute that it's based on your works, what's going to happen the next time you fall? What's going to happen to your full assurance? All of a sudden you're not so full of assurance anymore, right? But if you have full assurance of faith because of what God said to you and you believe that, then in those down times you get back up and you go after the fact that God has promised that He will save me. God has promised that He will guard me. And it leads you back in the direction of your hope. Look with me if you would at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. I want to show you um, some evidence of this. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are His house. We are. Not we will be. Not some of you might be. We are His house if, here's a big if, if indeed we hold fast our confidence. Where does your confidence come from? It comes from the Word of God. If God said it, He'll do it. Where did Noah's confidence come from to build a boat? He believed God. If we hold fast our confidence and our boasting, and our boasting is only in our hope. Again, here's, here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The evidence that you are in genuine faith is that you have full confidence in the Word of God and that it creates hope in you, not based on anything you do or don't do, but based on here's what God said and I believe it. Because I believe it, my life follows this direction. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14. He says, For we have come, not will come, not might come, we have come to share in Christ. Here's the evidence of those who are actually sharing in Christ right now. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is the reason why I taught you the, the, um, the, the perseveration... The, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking the preservation, the perseverance 
This is the reason why last week I told you that the doctrine of eternal security, I believe, is best described as the perseverance of the saints of God. In other words, if we hold our faith to the end, it proves that your faith is genuine. This is the reason why Paul tells us in many scriptures, examine yourself to make sure that you are in Christ. This is the reason Peter says to make your call and election sure. It's a good thing for you to look at your life and ask yourself, am I walking in genuine faith? And here's the answer if you don't know. You need to look at it, believe the Word of God, and start following it. And then you will be in genuine faith. It's not about whether you had it and lost it or whether... Let's don't even go there. Let's just examine ourselves to see whether we're walking in faith. And if we're not, then what's the obvious answer? You get in it. You walk in it. You believe God. We waver from times to times in our confidence and our full assurance the same way that I'm sure Noah did, the same way that Moses did, the same way that David did, the same way that Peter did when he denied Christ three times. But this walk of faith is a constant believing that God, you said it, I believe you'll do it and I'm going to follow you with all of my heart and you keep finding yourself in that place. And so the saints that that persevere, they are the ones that are walking in genuine faith. And you can rest assured their salvation is secure. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 through 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Do you see the pattern here? It's about having confidence in what God said He would do in every day of your life until the last day that you are on this earth and your faith becomes sight. He says, and we desire, so that you may not... Go, uh, you was right, go ahead and to the next one. So that you may not be sluggish. This is the reason why you need to have full assurance of hope. If you find yourself sluggish in it, if Noah had become sluggish in building the ark, what would that have been a, a symptom of, an evidence of? His, his faith is beginning to fade, Right? He's beginning to not believe God as much as he did. And so we don't want you to become sluggish, but instead we want you to imitate those who through faith and through their patience inherit the promises. How did Abraham get saved? Because he had faith and patience in the promise of God and his life followed it. How did Noah get saved? Because he had faith and patience in the promise of God and his life followed it. So the way that we do not become sluggish is that we make sure that our full assurance is constantly recharged. And the Word of God is the only thing that can do that. Listen, as I was reading the Word of God last night and studying, literally my confidence in this recharged. And it's the same thing that will happen to you. You need to hear. Faith cometh by hearing and... and in other words, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God. The Noah kept building the ark because he kept hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God. And because he kept hearing it and hearing it, he kept believing it and believing it. And that's the same thing that you need in your life. So the question we have to ask this morning, how can I have more biblical assurance 
that He keeps me in salvation. How can I have this full assurance that the Bible says I have to hold on to it, hold fast to it? And here's how God keeps those in genuine faith in salvation. Number one, if you're taking notes. He keeps you in genuine faith. He keeps you in salvation through the prayers of Jesus. Look with me if you would. We covered this just a little bit last week, but we'll dig a little deeper. John chapter 17, verse 11 through 20. He says, I am no longer in the world. And he's talking to the Father. He's praying here. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Listen to the prayer that Jesus just prayed for you. What's the first thing that you see right there that He has just prayed for you? Father, keep them in your name. This is a request of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus get what He asked for? He has just asked that for those that are His, Father, keep them in your name and we're going to get to this here in a minute, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Keep going, verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. While I was with them, I kept them, which you have given to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. You hear what Jesus said? Jesus said all the one... Now in this lifetime that Jesus has been here, He's had many, many multitudes follow Him, right? And He's had many, many walk away. And He ends up with how many? Twelve. After three years of Jesus following on His earth, He ends up with twelve. Twelve disciples. Man, that's pretty, that's pretty scary to think about, to be honest with you. But he says, listen, I kept the ones and I guarded the ones that you gave to me. In other words, everybody is not meant for this salvation. That's the truth of it. We'll get into that doctrine another time. Everybody is not meant for this salvation. But there are some that God has allowed to come in to the hand of Jesus Christ and He has gave them to Jesus Christ and He says, I have guarded them, I have kept them, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but remember... He wanted, God, keep them in your name. God, I want you to guard them the way that I guarded them. I lost none of them except the one that was meant for destruction anyway. And so go, go back to uh, verse 14. Go up a verse for me. He said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Keep going. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but here's the request, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now think about the prayer that Jesus is praying for you right now. That you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. 
He wants you to be kept in the name of, of the Father. He wants you to be guarded. He wants you to be protected from the evil one. And then He wants you to be sanctified. And all of these things are prayer requests that Jesus has prayed for those whom God has given Him. And I don't know if I've got this scripture. It's actually in the book of John, the Gospel of John. But there's a scripture that actually says, um, I have more sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them in. And they will hear my voice and they will come in. In other words, Jesus says, I already know the ones that are out there that have not responded to the gospel yet, but I already know the ones that will. And they're going to come into my fold. And so Jesus is praying all of these things for even the ones that are not here yet, that are not there yet. Sanctify them, God. In other words, transform them. He's already prayed for your transformation. Those of genuine faith will be transformed. You will be new, a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's not about getting everything right. It's about walking in faith and watching God work in your life as He transforms your mind, He transforms your heart, and He makes you a new creation. Keep going with me. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I, cons I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And then here's the last part. I do not ask for these only. At this point, he's talking about the twelve. But then he gets to this point right here and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do I got any believers in the word of God this morning? This prayer from Jesus Christ is for you. God, keep them. What does it mean to keep something? Guard it. Take care of it. Hold it. Don't let it go. God, keep them that you've given to me and protect them and guard them and sanctify them and then finally bring them in to where I am with you so that we may be one together. And that's the prayer of Jesus for all those that are saved. So again, the reason God or how God keeps you in genuine faith is through the prayers of Jesus. The second way God keeps you. I've only got three. Second way, by giving you to Jesus. The way that God keeps you in this is that He actually, you are no longer your own. He takes you and He gives you to His Son, to Jesus Christ. Look with me at John chapter 10. Verse 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You want to know the evidence of whether or not you are a sheep of Jesus Christ? My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. That's the evidence. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, listen to this, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, 
and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The way, Jesus, the way that God keeps you in genuine faith and the way God guards you in salvation is that He gave you to Jesus and Jesus said, Look here, I ain't lost one of them and I ain't fixing to start with you. If you end up lost, it was because I never... I never knew you. If you end up turning away from this thing, it was because your faith was never genuine to begin with. If your faith ends up in the test and it proves to not be genuine and it doesn't come back to full assurance of hope, it proves that you were never part of genuine faith. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast our original confidence steadfast to the end. The, 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 the perseverance in our faith is the evidence of genuine faith. Are y'all getting this? It's important that you get this. He is keeping you and guarding you by His Power. You belong to Jesus and He will not suffer loss of even one of whom the Father gives to Him. Not even one. And the only reason He lost Judas is because He was a son of destruction from the very beginning. So that the scripture might be fulfilled. Number three way that God keeps those of genuine faith in salvation. God keeps you by proving that He is for you. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 39. I'm going to turn there in my Bible in this while Ralph keeps up with me. Romans chapter 8, verse, beginning in verse 28. Remember, He is proving that He is for you and He's already proven it. In verse 28 He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now this verse doesn't apply to everybody. It applies to those who have been called by God, whom salvation has been initiated by God, whom salvation has been created by God. And for those who have trusted His call by faith and just showed up, all things work together for your good even the bad things in life. And then he goes into verse 29 and explains what he means. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, and those whom he predestined, he also called. In other words, if God knew before the foundations of the earth that you would be one of genuine faith, that's why you got the call. That's why you responded from the call. You were predestined to this thing. And those whom he predestined, he also called them because you can't come to the Father or to the Son unless he calls you. So that's why you got the call. And those whom he called, he also justified them. If he called you, then he also justified you. He declared you not guilty of any sin. He wiped the slate clean. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Yes. 
He made a new creation. He began to make all things new. And then go on to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Paul said, okay, what do we say about that? Well, here's what we say. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God called us and God justified us and God is glorifying us, then who can be against us? And keep going with me. Here's how he proves that he is for you. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, if you give somebody your kid to die, is there anything that you wouldn't give them? God proves that he is for us by giving you his child. Go on to verse 33. And so here's the question. If that's the case, if God is for you and God has called you and God has justified you and God is glorifying you, then who can bring any charge against God's chosen? It is God who justifies. Go on to verse 34. Who is to condemn? In other words, if a charge is brought against you, then how can, it even bring, how can a condemnation even come? More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Now I want you to think about this for just a minute. Peter, y'all remember last week I told you that, that uh, Jesus gave us a little insight into the spiritual battle? He said, Peter, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you, but I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. And when you have returned, Strengthen your brethren. Now think about this process, because here's what Jesus knew. God called Peter. God justified Peter. God is glorifying Peter. But Satan wants to test the genuineness of his faith. And I've prayed for him, not that he not be able to test him, but that he be kept, that he be guarded, that he not be able to lose his faith. And so here we have the devil standing before God, and he says, I want to test Peter. And God says, okay, test him. And so he sends him to the test and according to our standard of rules, did Peter pass or fail? Failed miserably. Three times. Cursed and swore that he didn't know Christ. Didn't know him. And don't you know what happened at that moment? The devil ran back to God. Let's keep looking into this spiritual thing. The devil ran back to God and what did he say? I told you so. I told you so. He said, here's a charge. Here's a charge that I'm bringing against your chosen one. His faith is not genuine. And here's what God said. Hold on one minute. I called him. I justified him. I'm glorifying him. Who can bring a charge against that? Your charge does not stand. His faith stands. Think about that for just a minute. See, we get in our minds and we think, okay, well I failed miserably and all of a sudden I lost my salvation. You never did anything to gain it except be called, except be justified, except be glorified by God. And so when anyone tries to bring a charge against your 
against you, here's what God says to them. Who are you to condemn my chosen one? Who are you to, get, to condemn the one that I justified? Who are you to condemn, the, to, to condemn the one that I am glorifying? Your charge does not stand because I am for them. How does God keep you in your faith? Because He's for you. Because He's the one that called you. Because He's the one that justified you. And because He's the one that's glorifying you. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, He was the one who was raised. And He is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us right now. Let's keep going. Verse 35. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation separate you? What about distress or what about persecution? Or what about famine or nakedness? Or what about danger or even a sword? Can it separate you from the love of Christ? And so in verse 36, as it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. I want you to think about that statement. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? He, he, here's what he could have said. No, in all these things we are conquerors. That's not what he said. He said in all these things we're more than conquerors. You meditate on that for a little while. Through him who loved us. Remember, it wasn't nothing to do with you. Verse 38. For I am sure... For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else. Did he leave anything out? Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, if God is for you, who can be against you? What charge can the devil bring against you? What condemnation can the devil bring against you? None. It is God who called. It is God who justified. It is God who glorified. And when the devil brings a charge, he says, It does not stand because I am for him and I prove that I'm for him. If I give him my son, is there anything that I won't give him? Jesus prays for you. Father, keep them. Keep them that you've given me. Guard them. Protect them. Keep them from the evil one. And when he prays keep them from the evil one, we see from the experience of Peter that he wasn't saying to keep them away from all of it, but he's saying make sure the devil cannot bring a charge against them. Make sure the devil cannot condemn them. Make sure that the devil cannot cause them to stumble from genuine faith. And God says, I will. Because I'm going to call them. I'm going to justify them. And I'm going to glorify them. Listen, you are eternally secure in your salvation if indeed your faith is genuine. So knowing these things, knowing that Jesus has prayed for us to be kept, to be guarded, to be sanctified, knowing that God has given us to Christ and knowing that He has us in His hand and He will not suffer loss of even one 
and knowing that God has proven He is for us in Christ and will accept no charge against us because in Him we're justified in Christ, then we can say with Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. Read with me, read that with me one more time. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. With that knowledge, read this again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about that assurance that Peter has when he says this. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for me who by God's power are being guarded, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, just like Peter had, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, I want you to believe in eternal security. I want you to believe in the, the perseverance of the saints, not just because it's some nice names and not just because it makes you happy inside to feel this way. I want you to believe it because it's vital that you believe it in order for you to have genuine faith. One last time, this is my closing verse. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. For we have come to share... Well, we'll go with 6, yeah. For, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house or we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What happens if you don't have full assurance of hope? You don't have faith. Now again, that assurance, we grow in it. We struggle with it, but he says, I want you to hold on to that because it's not according to your doing. It's according to God's doing. And if you're in genuine faith, you can rest assured and you can have confidence in his salvation and you can boast in the hope that he gives. This morning, I pray that no matter what it is that Satan's trying to throw at you, I pray that first off, you've tested yourself to see whether your faith is genuine. Are you following God? Are you literally learning Him and being transformed by Him? Or are you still just going about your routine, doing your thing? Are you still like the little two-year-old up here that wants to do it? I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. If that's you, I'm asking you this morning to examine your faith. Examine your faith and you need to remember something. You can't do this yourself. It's only by Him. He caused us to be born again to a living hope by His great mercy and by that alone. Your only part is that you hear the word, you believe it, and you follow it. And if you do that, you can examine yourself and you can see that you're in genuine faith and you can rest assured if you're in genuine faith, 
you will be saved and it is eternally secure. Y'all stand this morning. As the band comes, you don't have to wait on any music to be played. If it's something that, uh, that you would like to humble yourself before God, you can do that here. You can do it in your pews. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you this morning, I pray more than anything that He's gave you confidence. And then for those of you that don't have that confidence, I pray this morning that you would come let me help you find that confidence or you'd humble yourself in this altar to tell God, God, I haven't been walking in confidence, but I trust that what you said you will do. And I'm going to follow you with all my heart. If that's you this morning, I invite you to come now as we sing. Oh, precious is the flow.